Hello, this is episode two in this podcast. This episode is called Schoolboy Taken. This episode will cover the very sad case of a very young schoolboy called Roy Tootle. Roy was brutally murdered in the 1960s and his murderer was not discovered until 2001. Roy Tootle was only 14 years old when he went missing in April of 1968 and his body was discovered three days later. Roy Tootle was born on the 20th of March 1954. He lived with his parents, his father Dennis and his mother Hilary and his older brother Colin. They all lived in a beautiful village called Brockham, which is in Surrey in England. The area was very rural. Roy has been described as being a happy, healthy young boy. The family were described as being very close-knit. Roy also has a very close friend called Peter, who lived nearby. In 1968, Roy attended a grammar school, which was called Kingston Grammar, which was based in Kingston-upon-Thames, which was about 16 miles from the village of Brockham, where Roy lived at the time. On the day he was murdered, which was the 23rd of April in 1968, Roy had attended school as usual. His mother had dropped him off and he was given money to get the bus home afterwards. He was dressed in his school uniform, which included a blazer, which was red in colour and looked quite distinctive because of the brightness of the colour. Roy, at the time of his disappearance, was quite small in stature, and he had short, dark brown hair. On the day he disappeared, Roy had attended school, and when school finished at 3.30pm that afternoon, He caught the bus with some of his friends from school. However, because the young schoolboy was trying to save up for a new bike and some model trains, Roy did not stay on the bus to get all the way back to Brockham, where he lived. Instead, it appears that Roy got off the bus at Chessington, which was only about four miles into his intended journey from school to home. Roy had decided to try and hitchhike instead for the remaining 12 miles. This was not particularly unusual. Roy had done this many times before. Also, it wasn't unheard of for people to hitchhike in the 1960s. People were not always so aware of the dangers as they are today. Roy Tootle was last seen in Chessington. He was reported to have been hitchhiking from a bus lane. A lady came forward later to say that she had seen Roy trying to get a lift and actually had spoken to him. She said that she told him that he should catch the bus home instead of hitchhiking. Apparently Roy thanked her but carried on anyway. Another witness came forward, a man this time, to say that he thought he saw someone matching the schoolboy's description talking to a man who was sitting in a car. He described the man as being short with grey hair, but I'm not sure how it was determined that he was short if he was sitting down in his car. He described the car the man was driving as a silver-grey Austin Westminster Mark II. According to reports, the same description was given of a car that was seen close to the lane where the boy's young boy's body was eventually found. First that anyone knew that there was a problem was when he failed to turn up home after school. His parents were not initially concerned, thinking that maybe he was out playing with his friends. When Roy still had not returned home by the early evening, his parents realised something was wrong. They contacted the police straight away. According to reports in the newspapers at the time, it became one of the biggest missing persons investigations in Surrey at that particular time.
It was certainly unusual for a 14-year-old boy to just vanish, but not unheard of. Children have always gone missing, although the majority of them will always show up again. Safe and well. Teenagers throughout the world are sometimes known to just take off for whatever reason. The police did not appear to consider Roy a runaway, however, and house-to-house inquiries started the very next day. People in the local area were asked to check any outbuildings or sheds that they had, just in case for some reason Roy may have hidden away somewhere or was actually injured. The police, as well as obviously questioning Roy's family, also spoke to his best friend Peter to see if he could shed any light on where Roy could be, but he was unable to help. People living in the local area stopped letting their children out to play for fear that something would happen to them. It was reported that people became very uneasy and it changed the way that they actually lived. Once police had some information from potential witnesses suggesting that Roy had been hitchhiking at the time of his disappearance, they advised people not to get into cars with strangers and to certainly not hitchhike. That advice seems strange to us today, but in the 60s it was not that unusual for people, especially young people, to hitchhike. Roy's body, unfortunately, was discovered three days after he went missing. He had been found by a young police officer who was out on patrol at the time. The body was discovered in a place called Mickleham, which is still in the county of Surrey. The body was found dumped down a country lane. It did not look to the officers who investigated Roy Tootle's murder that there had been any effort made to try and hide the body at all, but that he had just been dumped, literally dumped there and left on the side of the lane. Roy's body was discovered along with most of his belongings, including his school uniform and his school satchel, which still contained his homework amongst other items. It was clear that this had been a brutal murder and that a sexual assault had also taken place. Once the autopsy had been carried out, it was confirmed that Roy Tootle had been raped and then strangled. Samples were collected at the time from Roy's clothing, which would prove useful in the years to come. The samples were stored in a freezer for future use. Science and technology at the time could only determine that the suspect had either Group A or Group O blood, which obviously would not have narrowed things down very much at all. Luckily, the investigators at the time had the foresight to preserve the samples for possible use in the future and they also stored the items correctly. Once Roy's body was found, the investigation went from a missing persons case to a murder case. The police had to tell Roy's parents that he had been murdered, which must have been very difficult. The police started to question people who were the closest to Roy at the time, which would have also included his close family and also his friends. However, the police did not find any relevant information other than the witnesses who came forward to say that they had seen someone matching Roy's description in Chessington during the afternoon of the 23rd of April. The police spent many man-hours on trying to chase up the car that one of the witnesses had claimed to have seen at the time but this would eventually turn out to be wrong. The person probably meant well, but it did lead the police to waste many hours on trying to locate the car and also the driver. 
The case became cold and stayed that way for over 30 years before eventually a breakthrough came with the advances in the DNA with more samples being collected. Eventually the police would have a suspect in their sights. suspect was a man in his 60s but who would have been in his 30s when Roy was murdered. The suspect's name was Brian Field. The suspect already had previous convictions for sex offences against young boys and had served time in prison on many different occasions. Brian Field was born in 1937 which means he would have been in his early 30s when Roy Tuttle was murdered. Brian Field had been married twice and had three children by the time he became a suspect in this murder case. Brian Field's first child, a son, was only two weeks old at the time of Roy's death. The reason that um, Brian Field became a suspect in this murder case was due to there being a DNA match, as well as the police setting up a cold case review in the year 2000. The cold case review looked at any similar cases throughout the UK and Brian Fields' name came up. Brian Field, by that time, had had many dealings with the police as well as the court system and eventually the prison system. The previous crimes that Brian Field carried out were all mostly sexual in nature and the victims were usually young teenage boys. The first recorded crime that he was charged with was gross indecency. He had passed obscene notes to an undercover police officer in a public toilet. In November 1969, Brian Fields was convicted of this offence and he was given a fine. The next time he was charged with a more serious offence, he had jumped on a young boy who was walking alone along a country lane. The boy was forced by Brian Fields to undress from the waist down. He was then fondled by the sex offender. Brian Fields was convicted and sentenced to two years in prison for indecently assaulting the young boy. The boy was 14 years old at the time of the attack. In April of 1982, Brian Fields was convicted of another charge of gross indecency. This time, the victim was a 17-year-old boy, and for some reason, he only received a fine for this offence. In September of 1983, he was again charged and convicted of sexual offences against young boys. This time, he was charged with two counts of rape and was sentenced to four years in prison. The last time that Brian Field had been charged and convicted of any offence was in June of 1986. He was sentenced to four years in prison for falsely imprisoning two teenage boys. You can see why the police working on this case review focused on this man and thank goodness that they did. According to reports, the police involved in investigating Roy's murder had always felt that the person responsible would be a repeat sex offender. They also said that they suspected the murder was not just a random attack, although the victim was, but that the man responsible had gone out looking for a victim on that day. Although it was the police in the early 2000s that managed to solve this case, the previous investigators had become aware of Brian Field and had tried to track him down so that they could question him about Roy's murder. 
However, he had managed to stay under the radar since his last prison release. He worked as a gardener as well as other jobs, but was paid cash in hand, so there was no trace of him through his tax or his national insurance records. It would appear at some point that he had settled in Solihull, which is in the West Midlands. The first real break in this case came in 1996, when information was obtained from the original sample which produced a DNA profile. This was in 1996. Brian Field had not been arrested for 13 years since his last conviction when he was pulled over by police in 1999 on the suspicion of drink driving. A mouth swab was taken which subsequently proved to be a match with the DNA profile completed in 1996 from the Roy Tootles murder case. The UK had by then already set up the National DNA database which meant that anyone providing a sample for a criminal offence would be more likely than ever to be caught. Once a DNA match had been established the police working on Roy's case had to try and track Brian Field down. They did eventually find him, but had to set up surveillance at first until they were able to arrest him. He was ultimately arrested on the 21st of February of 2001. He at first denied having anything to do with Roy's death, but he did go on to confess eventually. According to Brian Field, he saw Roy, who he did not know at the time, getting off a bus in Chessington. He noticed that the schoolboy was trying to get a lift, so he picked Roy up and promised him he would give him a lift home. However, Brian Field admitted that he had touched Roy on the leg and Roy had become uneasy and had resisted, which made Brian Field very angry. According to Brian Field, he then drove to a lay-by and sexually assaulted the young schoolboy. Afterwards, he drove to another lay-by and strangled Roy with a piece of rope. He later drove off after putting Roy's body into the boot of his car. Brian Field went home to his wife and his newborn son. He said that he had kept Roy's body in the boot for about two days before dumping the body down the lane where it was discovered three days later. The boy had been brutally murdered. the murderer had been driving was not a Austin Westminster but a Mini so many police hours had been wasted but this probably happens in a lot of cases where witnesses unintentionally give the police the wrong information. At the time of the murder it is not believed that there was anything linking Brian Field to the crime and he had not as yet been convicted of any crimes. Once the case came to court in 2001, it did not take very long for Brian Field to be found guilty. He had already confessed and his DNA matched the DNA taken from the crime scene. He was sentenced on the 15th of November 2001 to life in prison, and because he is in his 60s, he will probably die in prison. The judge, when sentencing Brian Field at the Old Bailey, said that Field had carried out an act that was particularly obnoxious for any right-minded person and that the consequences of his actions must have haunted Roy's parents for the rest of their lives. Brian Field has also been questioned about the disappearance of two young boys who went missing from the Chelmsley Wood area of Birmingham 
1996. It was believed that Brian Field had worked on a farm in the area at the time. He has been questioned, according to reports, but nothing more has come from it. Sadly, Roy's parents died before Brian Field was caught and put away. Roy's brother now lives in the United States. You can only imagine the nightmare that this has been for the family and how all of their lives had changed forever from that day. The Roy Tuttle murder case was the oldest cold case to be solved in the UK. Although it took 33 years to catch the killer, the police never gave up hope over the years of catching him. It has been said that the police interviewed or questioned over 10,000 people and that over 2,000 statements have been taken over the years. This case, in my opinion, highlights the need to reopen cold cases, especially when there has been so many advancements in science as well as technology. It is also important to catch any criminals that have and will go on to commit even more crimes. Also, it does bring a form of justice to the victim, who in this case was only 14 years old, yet his whole life ahead of him. His family and friends have also suffered so much over the years. Even though the killer at the time only lived a very short distance away from his victim, without the DNA evidence, the murder may not have been solved at all, because there was nothing linking the two together. From pictures that are available online, you can tell that Roy Tutel was a very innocent-looking young schoolboy, and he looked his age. He had a very sweet smile. I found this particular case very disturbing. A young boy in his school uniform being abused and murdered just to satisfy the desires of a pervert. He would not have stood a chance against a grown man. At least his body was found within three days, so that at least he could be laid to rest and any evidence could be discovered and used to try and find the monster that killed him. It must have been a huge relief to the remaining family members of Roy Tootle to know that after so many years, at last, the person responsible for such a cruel crime is behind bars forever. It also saved any future victims of Brian Field. You do have to wonder how many crimes um, that Brian Field did actually commit throughout his life because I know he was caught for many and he was put in prison or fined for quite a few offences and obviously eventually he was put away for Roy's murder but there are, there's a good chance that there's some people out there that have been abused by Brian Field and either they didn't report it or nothing came of it and maybe there was no evidence linking the two together but you just think that with the way he went after young boys in particular that he would have probably had more victims that we will probably never know about. The credits for information contained in this podcast go to Wikipedia, Criminal Investigation Documentary, Gene Watch UK, Court News UK and the Shropshire Star. Thank you very much.